0: Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to be with you guys. Um, There's no better way to start a worship service than, one, worshiping and praising the Lord, and then taking the Lord's Supper in remembrance of what the Lord has done for us. There's no better way to start the service. Amen? Amen? And it's also very fitting because today, if you want to go ahead and grab your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Colossians chapter 4. We're going to be concluding this letter that we've been studying over the last few weeks over the last couple of months. And what we're gonna see here is that this has been a letter that has been very full and rich uh, uh, of theology and of what Paul has been writing to his church about how they're to be living fervently for the Lord despite some outside noise and, and false teaching. Um, but despite how rich and 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 encouraging this letter is uh this the way he concludes it is a beautiful conclusion and uh letters like this, passages like this they're passages that we have a tendency I think I've said this before, even when we looked at the letter of Ephesians to the Ephesian church, we have a tendency of reading the ending as if like. It's, I mean, like we read it, but we don't really engage with it because our minds are so full. Our hearts are so full with the, the richness of what Paul has already talked about in the first four chapters. So by the time we get here, our, our heads are already full. Our hearts are already full. We're, we're, and we're trying to process some really cool things. And we miss what Paul is doing at the end of the letter. Is anybody else in that boat? Anybody else do that? I do that a lot. I'll confess it. That's why I'm thankful that we do teach through the letter verse by verse and that we do take it section by section so that way we don't miss the power, even in the conclusions and the benedictions of the letters. Uh, But as I said, this letter has been an incredible letter. Uh, It's broken down into two main sections. The first section is that uh, chapters one and two. We see Paul is writing this letter on behalf of an individual who. Uh, reached out to him regarding the church in Colossae. Uh, we'll see who that is here in just a minute. But he's writing this church uh, to, uh, to counteract or to address some heretical teaching that has been infiltrating this young believing church. We see that in ch- uh, chapters one and two. He, he reminds them of the spiritual freedom that they have in Christ. Josh, you can go to that next slide. Um, Oh, uh, I'll, I'll get back to that here in just a second. Go ahead and go to the outline for me there, Josh. Uh, so he uh, addresses the spiritual freedom that they have in Christ, right? And how uh, through Christ and by his redeeming work, they have been set free from any of these, uh, of the legalistic mindsets that have, that have come against this church. And if you go back to chapter 1, and as I said there in verses 9 through 4, he encourages them in this opening thanksgiving and prayer uh, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And if you go down to verse 13, he says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we now have redemption and forgiveness of sins. So he reminds them of, hey, now that you receive Christ, now that you have heard this gospel and has set you free, walk in it, walk in a manner worthy of it. You've been set free from it. He goes on in chapter two. In verses six through seven, says, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord so walk in him, rooted and built up and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. In other words, he's, he's challenging them and he's bringing them back to a place of remembering where, what Christ has done for them and how they are no longer bound to the law, but they have now been set free. And many of us today still live in the manner of the Colossae church. Many of us still live as if we are trying to fulfill a standard or a law that is a requirement to receive God's grace. But as we go back to Ephesians chapter two, do did we, did we do anything to receive God's grace? It is by grace you have been saved through faith, not by your works, not by your works. So Paul is recalling this back to this church. He's saying, hey, walk in a manner that is worthy of Christ. And then uh, he goes on into the second part of his letter in chapters three and four. And he now addresses moving from the spiritual freedom in Christ to the practical Christian living in Christ. In chapter three, as we uh, looked at, it says, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And then he says, set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things of this world. In other words, don't follow the flesh. Don't follow the, the, the rules and the regulations that which man had set in place. Now, yes, they were encountering, they were, what they were struggling with is, is following the Mosaic law, right? The ultimate, the Old Testament commands. But what Christ, when he came to, uh, on this earth, he came to fulfill that law. Through his death, burial, and resurrection, as we remember today, he fulfilled the Old Testament law to where we are no longer bound by that law because we were never able to fulfill it to begin with. He's the only one who could fulfill it. And through that, we've been set free from that law. Again, it's by his grace that we've been saved through faith. And so he moves from the spiritual freedom to the practical living, just put, all, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, and then put on, as the chosen ones, holy and beloved, the things in which Christ has given us through the Holy Spirit. Compassion hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you. You must also Forgive. And then from there, he moves on to the daily practical applications when it comes to our work relationships, when it comes to our family relationships, to our marriages, to the way that we treat our, our, our friends, and how we are to put them first. Die to yourself, pick up your cross and follow Christ. And through that allow, that, allow the Holy Spirit to work in you and through you to be the example by which we are called to be in Christ Jesus to those who do not know Christ or to those who need to be encouraged in Christ. So these are the things in which Paul has been speaking towards to this Colossae church. Again, this was a young church. And, and, and you've got to remember, this is a church that Paul himself had never physically been to at this point. They had never put eyes on Paul. So again, Paul is writing this letter from uh, prison. He is under house arrest in Rome. And he is writing this letter, but yet he's able to write to them emotionally and spiritually because of the servant that, would, that which came to him. And then he would then send the letter back. So he's writing to these people as if he is a spiritual father to them, though he's never seen them. It's a powerful, powerful letter. But now let's look at how he concludes this letter in chapter four. Picking up in verse seven, Josh, sorry. Now you can go back to the scripture slides. So picking up in verse seven of chapter four, let's see how Paul wraps this letter up. It says in verse 7, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose so that you may know how we are and that they may encourage your hearts. This sounds very familiar, right? This sounds a lot like Ephesians. But he goes on. He doesn't just end there with Tychicus. He says, and with uh, with him, Onesimus, our faithful and uh, beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow uh, prisoner, greets you and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. Shout out to Justice over here. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear with him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in, the, in Laodicea and in the Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you and as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha in the church in her house. And when, his, uh, and when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you have also read the letter from Laodicea and say to, Aris, uh, and say to Archippus, these names are fun. See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand Remember my chains. Grace be with you." Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the time that we've gotten to spend in this letter of Colossians. It may have been written thousands of years ago, but, or a thousand years ago, but Lord, it's so practical today. It still applies to every aspect of our life today. We just thank you for the fact that your word is living and active and that for the words of Paul and his faithfulness to write this letter. But Lord, I pray that we will heed what Paul's message was to the Colossae church, this young church uh, that needed to remember what their high calling is in Christ Jesus, to remain faithful. So Lord, I pray that we will apply this to our lives and as we work through this passage that you will continue to speak to us. Is in Jesus' name, amen. So again, Paul writes the first four chapters have been this incredible letter to the church, reminding them of who they are in Christ, reminding them that it is in the preeminence of Christ that they have been set free. There's no one else to find freedom in. There's no other rules nor the regulations. But yet, it's interesting how Paul, after writing such a profound letter, he could have just ended it. He could have just made this benediction very simple, but yet he chooses to recall to mind Faithful individuals, these faithful individuals. I don't think this is by chance. Because again, Paul's addressing this church because of the outside noise that is infiltrating the church. These false teachings that are coming in and they're leading these young believers away. And so for Paul to recall to mind these individuals, these faithful companions of his, it's not by chance. It's, by, it's to give them examples of how they too are to remain faithful. It's not impossible. It's hard. Following Christ is hard. The world is coming against the the, the message of which we believe in Christ Jesus. But yet it's not impossible. It's it's very possible. And so he's recalling to mind these guys, these different companions. He mentions Tychicus, a faithful minister and fellow servant of Paul. Tychicus would also become a prisoner with Paul. And as we remember, he was also mentioned back in Ephesians when Paul also wrote that letter. Now, again, Ephesians and Colossians, they're they're letters that circulated at the same time. Paul uh, might have written, or we believe that he wrote both these letters while he was in prison in Rome. So they're very um, contemporary um, counterparts to one another. Um, But then he goes on and and, uh, mentions Onesimus, or one Simus, so however you choose to say his name. But he's a fellow Colossian as well and a former slave. And this is by no chance that he mentions this guy. This is unique because when like I said, he was a slave to a guy named Philemon. And Philemon is actually the one where the, the Colossian church is probably taking place at, his house. And so when is a slave to Philemon. He steals from him, runs away, encounters Paul. Paul shares the gospel with them. He comes to know Christ. And then what does Paul do? He says, you need to go back. You need to go back. That's what the whole letter of Philemon is about. Paul writes a letter specifically to Philemon saying, hey, this happened, we get it. He knows Christ now. He's a brother. He's no longer a slave. He's a brother in Christ. You need to welcome him back. Not as a slave, but as a fellow brother in Christ. And the, uh, the other beautiful thing about that letter from Philemon is that he's doing it so that um, Philemon can serve as an example to others of forgiveness. A very rich message that's also found in Colossians. So it's very beautiful thing, but he goes on. He lists Aristarchus, he lists Mark, who was a cousin of Barnabas, a companion of Peter. He would ultimately write the gospel of Mark. There was Jesus or Justice, there's Epaphras, there's Luke and Demas. He goes on and on, lists these different individuals who have positive impacts on the kingdom with the gospel message. Of course, some of them also fall away like demons. But there's one guy in particular that I really want us to spend our time on, that I really want us to look at, and that is Epaphras. That is Epaphras. And why is that? It's because Epaphras, you know how earlier I said that there was a, there was a servant of Christ that went to seek out Paul? on behalf of the church because it's epaphras he was a fellow uh member of the colossian church scholars believe that epaphras was actually the one who founded the colossian church he heard the good news of the gospel from paul he believed and he went back and shared the good news he went back and evangelized the region of of Colossae, not just Colosse, but of uh, laodicea and the hierapolis that whole region the licious valley or Lycus valley he went back and he inevitably started this church. And 10 years later, after he started this church, that's when all this, I mean, throughout that time, this outside teaching started coming in and infiltrating the church and started leading people astray. And, and Epaphras had one of few options that he could do. He could either try to address it himself and try to encourage the, the people of the church to, to stick to the true gospel Or he could go and seek counsel. He could seek wisdom from the one who shared the gospel to him at the first place, Paul. That's exactly what he did. He realized that this was too big, that he needed the help that he needed or that to to bring them back to a healthy place and believing in the gospel. You see, we have a tendency to think that we can do things on our own, that... uh, you know, I'm, if I'm a believer in Jesus, I'm okay by myself. I can handle the outside noise. I can handle what's going on within the church and all the drama that may happen. Or, or we as a church can think, oh yeah, the, all those other churches, they're falling astray, but we're, we're still good. We're still rocking and rolling. We're, we're following the one true gospel. Well, let me tell you something. If you're in Christ, you're part of the universal church of Christ. I mean, like we are all brothers and sisters under the name of Jesus. We need to be praying for one another. We need to be uh, uh, longing for each other to follow this gospel passionately. And that's exactly what we see from Epaphras. He realizes that this is getting too big for him and that he needed assistance from Paul. So what did he do? He left Colossae and went all the way to Rome. Josh, can you bring up that map for me? Okay, so this is a bigger map here, okay? So I don't know if some of you guys may not be able to see it, but there's a little red circle on that map. That's Colossae. Now, uh, okay, so there's Colossae, there's uh, Laodicea, there's Hierapolis, and over to your left, there's Ephesus, it's about 100 miles away from Colossae. Now, Josh, go back to that zoomed out photo. You guys see that little boot right there on the left side of the screen? Up there on the top corner, that's Rome. That's where Paul is, and under house arrest. Epaphras thought and he believed in his heart that it was worth his trip to go to Rome to see Paul so that he could receive the, the help and the, and the guidance that he needed to, to address these teachings that were infiltrating the church. So as a result of Epaphras' desire for the church, for his people, Paul wrote this letter back to them encouraging them to come back to the one true gospel. And not even just this letter, but also the letter that was written to, uh, that was in circulation that was already at the church of Laodicea, which we believe is actually the letter of Ephesians. The, the, uh, the letter of Ephesians would, would eventually work its way back and it would be in circulation in this region. So not only was he, were they reading the Colossae, but they were re- or the Colossians, but the letter of Ephesians. And so he was a fellow member of the Colossian church and he was a fellow servant of Christ Jesus who loved his people well. And as a result of that, and as what Paul and how Paul describes them is that he was a servant of Christ Jesus. He greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. How are we choosing to pray? How are we, if we are believers in Jesus and we, and we believe that Christ has set us free from the, of the law of sin and death, How are we engaging with the world? How are we engaging with one another as a church? Are we fervently praying for one another? I love how John Case mentioned that in his prayer, that we need to be fervently be praying for our nation, for our church, for this community. Being a follower of Christ is more than just just claiming the name of Jesus. If the Holy Spirit is in you, you should have a desire and a passion, not just to be here at church, but to be praying fervently for the church and for the opportunities to share and to witness the gospel of Christ Jesus to those around us. And that's what Epaphras has been doing. That's what his desire is. And the moment he started the church in Colossae to this moment where he went and sought out Paul, 10 years went by and he remained faithful fervently praying, struggling in his prayers for this church. This idea of struggling in prayers means that we should pray like an athlete who strains for the goal, the desire, the prize. Does this sound familiar? Paul mentions, I think he says something very similar in the the letter of Philippians and how we should forget what lies behind but press on to what is ahead and we should strive for the upward call in Christ Jesus, the prize in Christ Jesus. We should be desiring to be praying fervently, struggling in our prayers, for not just the church, but for everyone to come to know the the, the freedom of Christ, the good news, the gospel, the salvation. So how are we doing that? How are you guys doing that? Again, This is a question that I have to ask myself daily as well. I am not outside of this. Victor's not outside of this, we as a church. We need to be coming together as a cumulative whole to do this together. And that's that's what we see here, is that Paphras desires that from this young church, that they come back to the truth, that they come back to the power that was able to save them and to bring them from death to life, from darkness to light, the one by which we now celebrate the, the Lord's Supper, Jesus. May we cling to that power, And as I've mentioned, so he's not even just a fervent prayer warrior, but rather he is a spiritual contender for the church. We see that here in verse 13. He says, For I bear him witness, this is Paul, that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and the Hierapolis. So again, it's not just about the church of Colossae, but rather it's about the churches in that region, the Licious Valley. He's just as concerned about the Laodiceans in the Hier- and those in the Hierapolis, rather than just those at the Laodicean or at the Colossian church. His passion is pouring out into the community, into those in the surrounding area. And this is actually pretty significant because when we look at this region of, of the Hierapolis and Laodicea and Colossae, Hierapolis is actually a very prosperous area. They were known for their industry in the, uh, with uh, dye. So it was very frugal. They had a lot of money there. And so with that, there's a lot of different demographics of people. So when you think about the outreach uh, and the, the evangelistic witness that he had, It was powerful, it was profound. I also read that this is also a high concentrated area for Jews as well, this delicious valley. But something I want to call to mind is that this is not just the last time that the church at Laodicea is mentioned. Where else is it mentioned? Revelation. So we see here a path first longing for the fervency of this church to grow the passion of this church to grow, to see it last, and it does, it lasts, but not in a manner that we think it did. As you read in Revelations, John would write down what Jesus would say about this church and how they lost their fervency for the gospel. They they fell away and followed the world because they fell into the money. how are we praying for our community? How are we praying for our nation? If we're not fervently in prayer constantly, we may end up just like the Laodicean church. And so again, how are we as believers in Jesus today at this church, in this community, in this state, in this nation, how are we engaging with this culture and this world around us that is trying to snuff the gospel out. And it's happening. Again, the first, half, the, the first four chapters of this letter is dedicated to these young Colossae, or Colossae people to remember their spiritual freedom, not to give in to the false teachings or the legalistic mindset that is, that is coming at them. That we, need to rem- that we need to remain in the freedom of Christ. And then as a result of that freedom in Christ, as a result of the power of the Holy Spirit within us, that we need to live a life that is manner- uh, uh, worthy of the manner of Christ rather than of the world. We need to be set apart. Our actions need to be different. Our desires need to be different. I'm not saying that we're gonna, that you have to be like weird and that you have to, you know, like, you know how the, this, the Christian stereotype is, like, oh, you're a Christian, you're a weirdo. No, we could still enjoy life. We could still enjoy fellowship and go do things. But when it comes to the convictions of the Holy Spirit within us, we need to set ourselves apart from what the world is telling us is okay. So how are we doing this? Are we like Epaphras? Are we like Tychicus? Are we like Aristarchus? Are we like these examples that Paul mentions? Or are we here to be like a Demas who eventually would fall away? Paul mentions Demas in this letter just briefly right after Luke. Um, but Demas, if you guys remember, he actually falls away later. Not that he falls away from his, in the sense of that he turns from the gospel, but rather he, he is very much like a, uh, a believer who is persuaded by the world and turns away and he walks away from the truth. He allows these other teachings to come in to infiltrate him and he turns away and he doesn't wanna be a part of Paul and his companions anymore. Maybe not be like a Demas, but maybe we be like a Paphras. I hope this has been a, a very good study for us as a church. Because um, the noise is only gonna get louder the pressures are only going to be greater to, to bring in uh, more of a, what's the word I'm looking for? All-inclusive, I guess, mindset. This idea of progressive Christianity is growing. We need to be on guard. We need to stand firm. We need to be praying diligently as a Epaphras does for his church or as he did for his church to stand firm in Christ. So that way when it does come, when it does, when you do have an opportunity to confront it, that you confront it in a humble manner, but firmly. So that way Christ can be known and people can be set free. Does that make sense? That's my desire for our church. That's my prayer for our church. That's my prayer for the believers in this area. That's my, I mean, for the believers in our nation. Gosh, I'm gonna be real for a second. Is that okay? We need to be praying for unity among the believers of the church. The church has been so divided recently when you look at our nation. We need to be praying for the the unity of the spirit among believers. That way we can all have the same approach, the same mindset, the same convictions, the same gospel. That's what we need. So may we do that. May we fervently be praying for that so that way we can walk together in unison. But as we wrap up our time this morning, Um, I do bring us back to what we just did here. The Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is about remembering what Christ did for us as our Passover lamb, right? I pray that we will always remember this daily as we wake up and pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. I believe Epaphras did that. I believe Epaphras reflected on the the finished work of Christ, the freedom that we have now in Christ through his redeeming blood. So I pray that's exactly what we'll do. But if you're in this place today and you have never experienced the true freedom in Christ, you're still feeling the weight and the tension of the world. You're still living in your sin. You're feeling the weight of your sin that you need to but yet you want that to be released and you want to turn away from that and you want to experience the freedom that we're talking about, I pray that today you will surrender your life to Jesus because that's the only way you'll experience freedom. Surrendering your life to Christ does not mean that you're enslaving yourself to anything. Surrendering your life to Christ means that you're submitting to his authority, but you're setting yourself free from what is truly enslaving you, and that is your sin. So if you have questions, you can come talk to me. You can talk to Victor. You can talk to whoever, a, a, a believer in this church who you know for it, without a shout doubt will lead you down the, the path of truth. I pray that you'll do that. But my, for those of you guys who are brothers and sisters in Christ with me, my challenge and charge for us is that we will walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, that we will pray fervently for our community, <clears throat> pray fervently for our church that we will take full advantage of every opportunity of sharing and witnessing to those who need Jesus. As a Epaphraston. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this time. And, and Lord, as I said in the beginning, that we thank you for this letter that is timeless. It's living, it's active, it's applicable in every way to us today. And Lord, I pray that um, as we process through this letter, and as we continue to be sanctified, and as we continue to, uh, to, to pursue a life that is worthy of the calling of Christ, that we will also um, desire to leave a legacy like these men that Paul mentioned. Whether it's Tychicus, Epaphras, Aristarchus, Luke. Lord, I pray that uh, we will have the same passion and desire for, for the gospel as they did. Even if it calls for our life, I pray that we'll remain faithful. Lord, we pray for our community. We pray for the hearts that are being softened, that are being prepared for, to hear the good news. We pray for those who are heart of heart. Lord, that you will soften their hearts so that way they can come to hear the good news. But Lord, may we be bold. May we be fervent in our prayers daily. May we not be afraid to share the good news and to, and to long for our community and for our church to continue to grow in the holiness of Christ. But Lord, we love you. We praise you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name, amen.